you have a Bible, we are in I mean Luke, Ephesians. Luke chapter 5, is 1 through 11. Um, we try to record these sermons. We're not always successful. Uh, and that's mostly because something's wrong with technology or I didn't turn it on or the battery died or something crazy like that. But uh, if you happen to miss the sermon one week, if you're off and about, uh, just remember that we uh, record it and, and check it online. We also have the video, Facebook Live also. So we, uh, if, you, uh, if, you're all, if you're traveling and uh, you... Um, want to, or should be listening to worship, please access that through the Facebook um, Facebook uh, page for Redeemer Fellowship so you can be partaking that as well. So, uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It's a cool story. Um, chapter, chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boats. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Very similar to Isaiah chapter 6. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The uh, title of the sermon is, the next Billy Graham could be you. Graham could be you. Um, Thursday, oh yeah, Thursday is the NFL draft, and uh, this is obviously when Tebow was drafted by the Mets, which is not football, it's baseball, obviously. For some of you who are not sports fans, um, some people who aren't sports fans get confused about the sports, which was baseball, was football, and basketball, this is baseball. And um, so Tebow was drafted in, I can't remember the year exactly, but he was drafted by the Denver Broncos. Uh, in 20, uh, 2010, by the Denver Broncos to be a quarterback. He went to the University of Florida, which I hate, and he went to the Denver Broncos. He was drafted by the Broncos. And uh, the first round, and when, 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 when every time we get to an NFL draft, or if you're an NBA fan, an NBA draft, is they're always talking about the next one, either the next Michael Jordan, or the next Tom Brady, the next Peyton Manning. There's always this kind of future casting of, or future projecting, like, is this guy going to be the next great quarterback, running back, wide receiver, linebacker, whatever, whatever, whatever. And sometimes it's all projection, it's all guessing, it's all uh, kind of the assumption that certain players will be the next great, you know, player in the NFL. And so when you watch the NFL draft on Thursday, you'll see that, you'll hear this, 
this statement made, this guy's going to be the next great NFL player. And there's plenty of people who have been drafted in the NFL in the National Football League that there was an assumption that they were going to be great. Tebow was one of these guys. I mean, he was Tebow was one, Tim Tebow is one of the biggest guys that ever played for. He's strong. He he bench weight. He, he benched 250 pounds like easily. He he's fast. He's athletic. So there's an assumption that he's going to be a great player. Uh, some of you may disagree. He wasn't a great player in the NFL. That's why he got cut. Some people didn't think he was that great. So the other people that have played in the league that they thought were going to be these great players, there's one guy named um, Aaron Curry uh, uh, who was drafted by the Seahawks, Seattle Seahawks. He was this massive guy. He jumped high. He ran fast. He was drafted number two in the 2000 draft. He was, he, he was a bust. I mean, he was out of the league in a few years. He was not very successful. Again, they thought he was the great next linebacker in the NFL, but he wasn't. He was a bust. He was someone who was out of the league in two years. He wasn't as good as people thought he was going to be. And there's plenty of other players who they just thought he would be the next great player, and they end up not being great. You think about preachers. Who's the next great preacher? Who's the next great evangelist? And we think certain people will be the great evangelist because they're charismatic or they're good-looking or they speak with a certain voice. We're not always sure who the next great person, the great leader is going to be in our society, in our churches. Just to do a little bit of um, background here as we get to this passage in Luke chapter 5. I love how Luke, and I don't know if you've caught it as we've gone through Luke since September, but how often the Holy Spirit is mentioned in, in, in throughout Luke. Obviously the Holy Spirit is, is sent on the day of Pentecost and the book of Acts, but Luke who wrote both Luke and Acts, refers to the Holy Spirit often in his gospel. He's one of the few gospel writers that mention the Holy Spirit so often. Uh, in Luke 1.15, John the Baptist, is, who is promised uh, to Zechariah, and will be filled with the Holy Spirit in Luke 1.15. In Luke 1.35, Mary uh, is promised that she will have a son, and, 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 and it's, no, actually, change, change, go there, 135, and the angel enters, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, come upon Mary. Luke 141, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit when she hears the news of Jesus' birth and Jesus' coming. Zach, uh, Luke 167, Zechariah talks about being he's filled with the Holy Spirit as he prophesies about John the Baptist's life and ministry. Uh, Luke 180, John the Baptist is again one who is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 2, 25-28, Simeon is filled with the Holy Spirit as he prophesies and he, and he talks about Jesus and, and his ministry and how he's going to save sinners. Luke 3, 16, Jesus was baptized with, he's going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit and fire. Luke 3, 22, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus at his baptism. Luke 4, 1, that talking about Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit and, it, and the Spirit led him into the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil. Luke 4.14, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Luke 4.18, the Spirit of God is a, going to be upon Jesus. He's referring to Luke, uh, Isaiah 61, the Spirit of God is going to come upon him in his ministry. And then in Luke uh, 4.43, we talk about the purpose of Christ's ministry, which is to proclaim the kingdom of God. He tells the crowd that I, I must go to another town. 
I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. The Spirit of God sent him into Galilee to proclaim the kingdom of God. The Spirit is very much a part of Jesus' ministry and how we forget that the Holy Spirit comes upon Christ's people. We see that in Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost, that the Spirit came upon the apostles and the followers of Christ. They were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. They were sent to proclaim the truth about Christ and the good news about Christ to the ends of the earth. So, Getting into this, Luke chapter 5, the first set of verses 1 through 3, we're talking about the crowd. Point 1 is the crowd. And just to kind of go back and just kind of give you um, kind of the, uh, here it is, yeah, the, 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 kind of the main idea, the foreshadowing here of the greater work that Christ has commissioned his church to be catchers of men. The main idea is the foreshadowing here of the greater work that Christ has commissioned his church to be catchers of men. Of men. So, verses 1 through 3, talking about the crowd. The crowd. Uh, verse 1 says, on one occasion, uh, it, it happened when, on this occasion, while the crowd was pressing upon him, this uh, structure is, is, is repeated throughout 5 through 6. We see in uh, even Luke 1, 1 through 4, it happened when, and, 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 and we see this this. this Phrasing and this structure uh, repeatedly throughout Luke, verses chapter 5, verse 12, it happened while he was in one of the cities. Verse 17 of chapter 15, of chapter 5, on, on, it happened on one of these days as he was teaching the Pharisees and teachers. So we see these temporal markers, it happened when, and then he would give kind of the context of this action or this event that Jesus uh, or a miracle event that Jesus performs. And going back to, again, the beginning of Luke, how Luke is telling Panopolis, this, uh, he was telling them this story, this historical report of the life of Christ, so that he, that he may have certainty about have you been, that you may have certainty about the life of Christ. That he was taught about Jesus, he was taught about Christ, that he may have certainty about the events of Christ. And so, again, Luke structures his gospel, his historical record of Christ with it, it happened while this happened. It happened while this happened. We see this in verse 1. It happened on this occasion while the crowd was pressing on him to, to hear the word of, the God, of the word of God. The crowd is pressing around him, listening to the word of God, verse 1. I mean, Jesus has become a rock star. I mean, people wanted to hear him speak. They wanted to hear him talk. John the Baptist uh, has most definitely lessened, and Jesus has most definitely increased in public opinion. I mean, Jesus is quite popular. People are wanting to hear him talk. If you think of a, la a large examples of large crowds who, who go to hear and see someone. I didn't know this, but um, over 5 million people went to the uh, Chicago Cubs parade when we won the World Series. 5 million people. A lot of people going just to see baseball players uh, go by on buses or trucks or whatever they're riding on. Five million people went to Chicago to see the Cubs and celebrate their World Series victory. When Pope Francis went to the Philippines, 
Six million people went to hear him speak and went to go see him drive by on his Pope mobile, right? I mean, all these people, six million people go to see one man. It's crazy. When President Obama was his first inauguration in 2008, 1.8 million people went to D.C. to see him inaugurated. 1.8 million people. I've been to D.C. I've lived near D.C. It, it can become really crowded trying to get into metros if that many people are going to the same place. 1.8 million people pressing against each other, listening and trying to see uh, President Obama speak at his inaugural. And so this crowd is, we don't know how many people were following Jesus, how many people went to hear him speak, but we know they're pressing around him. They're, they're, they're packed around him, listening to him teach the word of God. That's an important point here. And we don't want to miss this point that Jesus performed many miracles, but it was his words that he spoke and embodied that we should focus our attention on. We think about the, when he read to the uh, people of Nazareth, when he read from Isaiah 61, Luke 4, 18, uh, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him because he was anointed. He was anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. Christ proclaimed, announced, he preached, he taught the good news. Christianity is a religion of the word of God. The word of God is central to the activity of the church and to God's people. We think about worship music. Worship music is where churches can get really slippery because it's not about the word of God, but it becomes about a style of worship or a style of music. And why people go to a certain church or why they even go to church. But worship music is not a style to entertain you, as if you're an audience and the worship band is a, is a, is a band to, to entertain you. But in a sense, they're choir directors. They are, they are leading the congregation in worship to our Father. We sing the word of God, not just music, but the word of God. God's word helps us understand, remember, desire, and love God's word. Too often we get caught focusing on the style of music and the style of worship, but music is to help us understand, remember, desire, and love God's word. That's its purpose. Not to entertain, but to help us understand, remember, desire, and love God's word. And you think about style of God. I mean, this is the issue that Israel had with the golden calf, that they wanted a style of God. So they built the golden calf. They wanted God, they wanted Yahweh to look like the gods of Egypt. And so we set up images and mechanisms to understand and worship God that are disconnected from his word, thinking the style helps us connect with God better than this style. What does style have to do with God's word? What does style have to do with God's word? We are creatures of the word of God, not a style but the word of God. And so, even when we get sermons, it's a proclamation of the word of God. People need God's word, not entertainment or creativity. God's spirit convicts and saves through the word of God. 1 Timothy 3.16 is breathed out by God. God's word is breathed out by him. It's profitable for correction, for teaching, for reproof. Not style. Style's not profitable. Word of God is profitable. Psalms 119, we think about the psalmist, we think of David talking about his love for God's word, and he says at the end of the passage, in this long chapter of the Bible, the longest chapter of the Bible, one, verse 176, he wants God not to, to help him not forget God's word. 
the importance of God's word. And how dare we as God's people get bored with God's word, right? That's the reason why we create styles. That's why we create these ways of mechanisms to, make, to entertain us when what we need is God's word. We're God's people. We need his word. We should seek as this crowd does to hear God's word. Pressing against each other to hear the word of God. We think of uh, uh, Nehemiah 8, 3 through 6. They were so attentive to the word of God. They were hanging. They were, it led them to worship. Hearing, just hearing the word of God led them to worship. It led them to raising their hands to worship God. And I'm pretty sure they had no guitar solos in the day of, uh, of Nehemiah. There was no electric guitars that led to the arm raising. It was just hearing the word led to worship. The hearing of God led to worship. May we love God's word like they love God's word. May we love God's word like the crowd here loves God's word, pressing against one another just to hear the word because it brings us joy and gladness and praise. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian here, like we're glad you're here, we're, we're excited that you're here, we want you to, to understand that as a people of God, it's the word of God that we're here to hear. Not me, not uh, a piece of music, but to hear the word of God. Because I'm just as broken as you are. I'm just as sinful as you are. The only difference between me and you is I'm very aware of my sin, and I'm very aware of my Savior and Lord. So we need to hear from his word. I need to hear from his word. You don't need to hear from me. My, always my prayer is that God would speak through me, that his word would speak through me, that I wouldn't be a distraction from, for you hearing the word of God and responding to the word of God. Because Christianity as a religion is a religion of the word of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the message, the truth, the way of Jesus Christ is blending everything that he did and say and following them. That is Christianity. We do not love people as ourselves well, we do not love our enemies well, we do not make take peace well, but Christianity is not a religion of moralistic principles, but it is a religion of grace, and the Bible points us to grace. This word points us to grace. Christianity is trusting in Christ's words and actions, and that's some preacher who's just as broken and sinful as you are. That's important that we don't miss this point here, that they crowded against each other and pressing against each other just to hear the word of God and to listen to the word of God. The second set of verses, 4 through 7, is the catch. Catch. So we have this, the crowd pressing against each other, hearing from Jesus. Jesus sees these two boats by the lake, and he, he obviously knows Simon in some way. These fishermen who have brought the boats to the, to the, to the shore, they're, they're washing their nets, and and Jesus gets in one of the boats. We see that it's Simon's boat. And he asked Simon to put out a little from the, land, from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, we'll go into that later. But so he, 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 he gets in the boat and he continues to teach the people. He continues to teach this crowd. And what are we supposed This is I think this is the first time we are introduced to Simon in the book of Luke. So who is Simon? Simon, uh, referring to Simon Peter, which we see later in this passage, is the brother of Andrew. We see this from John 1, verse 40. And Andrew is that, he doesn't get a lot of press, right, in the Gospels. 
But he's the brother of Peter. That's what we know him for. Andrew is the brother of Peter. If you go to John 1, 4, Andrew is the one that introduces Jesus, uh, Peter to Jesus. He introduces Simon to Jesus. We think of Andrew as the one who, and he says, we found the Messiah, he says. Andrew gets pumped, right? I mean, he's the one, like, going to the talks and going to the speeches and, and hearing John the Baptist. And so you think of Andrew as the one who was actually more excited about Jesus' coming. We have found the Messiah, Andrew says. And he takes Peter, and he's pumped. Andrew is like the theology nerd, man. He's like the he's the one who like is, he loves the to, to study the, the Torah, the study of the law. Hence why he says we found the Messiah. He's looking for it. So he takes Peter, he takes his brother to meet Jesus. And Jesus, the first time he meets Simon, he renamed him. And this is the, their first interaction, and Jesus says, I'm going to rename you, and you're going to be Peter. And so this, this story here, Luke 5, has it kind of fit in the chronological order of Peter's life. Uh, after John, we see in Mark 1.14 that after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Mark 1.16, then he called his first disciples. So Jesus' calling of his disciples happens after John the Baptist is arrested by Herod the Great, or Herod the King. So this event, this event happens after the wedding of Cana, which Simon was most likely present at. He followed Jesus, he went to the wedding, he saw Jesus turn water into wine. So John 4.1, that when Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Then we see in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. We talked about that last week. So up to this point in the story, Simon Peter is just a fisherman from Capernaum who has interacted, who interacted with Jesus on a few occasions. He hasn't, he hasn't you know, chosen to follow Jesus he, he's, he hasn't become a disciple yet. He's gone to a few miracle events. He's heard Jesus talk a little bit, but he's still a fisherman up to this point. So he saw Jesus turn water to wine, but he was not committed. He hasn't committed his life to anything. He's just a fisherman. He probably spent his entire life on the sea, fishing with his dad and his family. This is the family business. This is what he does. I mean, he's grown up in Capernaum. He's grown up on the Sea of Galilee. This is what he does. He is a fisherman. That's all he's ever done. And his brother and his friend, John and James and Zebedee, go into business together. They know everything there is to know about fishing. Everything. They spend their whole life fishing. He's not an important person by any measure. I mean, he's just a fisherman from Capernaum. He hangs out on the Sea of Galilee. He's like some guy that you would see in Florida who just spends his whole life fishing. This is who he is. This is what Peter does. He's just a simple Galilean fisherman. That's all he is. He's uh, trying to catch enough fish to take care of his family, pay the mortgage, pay his Roman taxes. Basically what Peter's life is. And Andrew, his brother, won't shut up about it. He won't shut up about Jesus. Simon just wants to do his job. That's why he's a fisherman. He just wants to do his job, run his business, do his thing, and that's all he wants to do. He doesn't care about the Messiah. He's not excited like his brother is. He just wants to be a fisherman. He's a good, hardworking dude who loves his wife. I don't know if he has children. If he has children, if he loves his children, that's all he wants to do. He just wants to do his job. Not any different than a lot of people we know. Probably any different than you are or your own family. He 
He's not looking to get involved in anything. He's curious. I mean, he went to the wedding. He saw Jesus drink water to wine, but he's not really excited about getting involved. He just wants to do his job. So Jesus says to Simon, hey, right, Jesus is right in his boat. He finished teaching the crowd. He constantly states to Simon, the expert fisherman, right? I mean, Simon's an expert, right? He's the expert fisherman. spent his entire life as a fisherman. He's the Bill Dance of his day. Bill Dance is a Tennessee fan. He wore a Tennessee hat. He's a Bill Dance of his day. I mean, he's a fisherman. That's all he is. What does Jesus say? Hey, um, put out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. I mean, Jesus is not from the Sea of Galilee. He's from Nazareth, which is on a mountain. It has nothing to do with water or fishing. None of the villages around where Jesus grew up were fishermen. I mean, his dad was a carpenter, not a fisherman. So he tells the expert fisherman, Simon, hey, hey, you need to go over here and fish. Jesus tells the fisherman how to fish. Jesus, the carpenter's son, tells the fisherman how to fish. Think about that. Like, if we were in that same situation, we would be extremely annoyed, right? And some guy who's not from my territory, not from my industry or my, or my expertise, is, and tells me how to do my job, we wouldn't like that at all. What if a corn grower from Iowa said an Alaskan fisherman how to do his job? I mean, I'm not taking advice from a guy from the Great Plains and telling me how to fish in the Bering Strait. I've never been there, never grew up there. I know the industry. I know the way that works. Don't tell me what to do. But this is basically what's going on here. Jesus, the carpenter, is telling the fisherman Simon how to fish. So what does Simon say? He's with a reasonable voice of frustration and annoyance. as Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. I've got nothing to sell in the market. I, I mean, I have no food, no, no food or money to bring home. My wife is expecting me to bring some money home, and I have no money to bring home. I didn't catch anything. I didn't sell anything in the market. We have these Roman taxes, and they're always taking all my money, and I have no money. We didn't catch anything. We fished at night because it's the best time to catch fish. And this guy, who's a carpenter from Nash, is telling us to go fish now when we already fished the best time and didn't catch anything. So why would we catch anything different? Now, when you go try to catch something now, because of mastery. By at your word, I will let down the nets. By your word, I will let down the nets. We already know that Jesus has a reputation of speaking with authority and the importance of God's word, and he says, he speaks. Christ speaks to him, and Peter, Simon, listens. He obeys. Even though all of his expertise says he is wasting his time and effort. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were tearing. He had to convince the other boats, man, to come over here. I mean, they all had to go out. The two boats all went out to fish. And they caught this massive amount of fish. Let me put it in a 21st century perspective here. Since none of us are fishermen, maybe we, haven't we don't understand this passage very well. Uh, Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin which is the, some weird currency that I know nothing about. I don't know how it's a digital uh, uh, currency that uh, you can invest your money in. If you invested in Bitcoin uh, in 2009, and you had put um, $5,000 and bought basically 50,000 stocks of Bitcoin, today it would be worth $63 million. $63 million. The price today of one stock of Bitcoin is $1,276. So if you invested in when it just came out, 
and you put $5,000 in Bitcoin, you have $63 million. But think about that. That was 10 years later. I mean, almost 10 years later, right? The, the investment was a 10 year. I mean, it's a lot, but still 10 years. Think about that investment that you got immediately. Now, you invested 5000 bucks, and it was immediately $63 million immediately. But not 10 years, but a second. It was $63 million. I mean, what, I mean, what would you do if that happened to you? If you invested this amount of money and it immediately came back, huge amounts. I mean, you would be astonished. Your jaw would drop. I mean, you might, you might do something in your, like, it could be horrible. Like, you don't know what, like, it could be something, we don't even kind of think about it because it's so outrageous to think of that possibly happening to you. And they filled their both their boats, and their boats began to sink due to the rain. Verses 8 through 11, the call. The call. After seeing Simon Peter fall down to the knees of Jesus, he said to Jesus, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. Like I said before, I have to present some context. Simon Peter wasn't all in at this point. I mean, he's a fisherman. He heard about Jesus, he, he went to a few events, but he's not all in here. And this is his words right after this event. When he brings in this huge catch, he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I mean, Simon Peter had a moment. This is a, and he's experiencing something that really changed him. His first action after this moment is remarkable. He doesn't say, you're hired, right? We would say, you're hired. You're a fisherman with me now. You're part of my, you're part of my business now. If you've got some expertise that we don't know about, you know where fish are, you're going to be part of my business. That's not what he says. He says, depart from me. I mean, Jesus is the, the new partner. He, he's the golden ticket. He's the golden goose. Instead, he's filled with guilt. He recognizes that Jesus is not some normal guy from Nazareth. He was not convinced until now. He realizes for the first time that he is in the presence of the Holy One of God. And he realizes it at this moment. The Holy One of God, the, nature, the Son of God, the Christ. Christ has exposed his nature to Peter. Simon then contemplates Christ's nature, as the Holy One of God, the Son of God, the Christ, then contemplates his condition, and he's afraid. You don't tell someone that you're not afraid of, depart from me. I'm a guilty man. He is terrified. Wouldn't you be terrified? I mean, we read Isaiah 6. I mean, Isaiah saw the, the, the throne room of God, and he responded, woe is me for a man of unclean lips. Fear. Think of Isaiah, I mean, Exodus 20, 18 through 21, when the people of God experienced the, the mountain that God was on and the fire and the smoke. They're like, hey, Moses, you go up for us. We don't want anything to do with that God. You see, you could kill us. We, we are terrified. This is what Peter is experiencing here. He is terrified. He's full of guilt. And he repents. And he repents. For he who... Uh, who were with him were seized with amazement. Everyone who were with Peter, his partners, James and John, and potentially Andrew, Andrew may have been with him, were seized with amazement. They experienced a supernatural event, and they were in shock. And then Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. I think maybe, and this is just my opinion, this statement that Jesus makes may be the more astonishing thing in this passage in the story. Not the fish, not Peter, but this statement by Christ. But think about it. 
Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Christ Jesus did not come to earth from heaven to catch a ton of fish. That's important here. Jesus didn't come to earth and do a bunch of cool things like catch a bunch of fish for some fishermen. He did not come to earth to heal a ton of sick people. He came to call repentant sinners to saving grace. He came to give sinners a new purpose, a new direction, a new call. Honestly, Peter is right. He deserves for Jesus to depart from him because he is a sinner. He doesn't deserve to be hanging around Jesus. So Peter is actually right. He has great, perfect theology. Depart from me. I should not be around you. You are too holy for me to be around. I don't deserve to be in your presence. He deserves Jesus' judgment, yet Jesus cries, Christ Jesus tells him to fear not. Do not fear the judgment you deserve for your sin. Rather, experience the grace that I have come to offer. Then Jesus gives Peter a new purpose, a new direction, a new calling. Now you'll be catching men, not fish. Jesus is not saying there's something wrong with fishing. He's not saying that he would rather, uh, he's not saying, uh, he's actually saying, I have a better calling for you. I want you to come with me and proclaim the goodness of the kingdom of God with me. I mean, Simon was a new man. He was given a new priority in life. I mean, look what the guy, I mean, look what Jesus just did. He says, I'm done with fishing. He tells me to go, and I'm going. He and his partners bring their boats to land and leave everything and follow Christ. And he, he doesn't try to convince Jesus to go into business with them. We may have done that, right? Like, why don't you come fish with us? Preaching stuff. Why don't you come follow us? We can make a lot of money catching fish. He doesn't take his new wealth and retire to the Mediterranean Sea. He left everything and followed him. Think about that. I mean, think about that. You take your Bitcoin, right? You get $63 million that you got immediately, and instead of like, oh, I got all this money, you leave it all behind and you go follow Christ. Who would do that? Huge return on your investment. You leave it all behind and you follow Christ. Just a few applications as we close. The love of the Word of God. The love of the Word of God. Life is in the Word, and there's power in the Word of God. And may we love God's Word as that crowd loved God's Word. May we obey the Word of God. As Simon uh, shows us how he, what, while his expertise in fishing should have ignored Jesus, he obeyed Christ's Word. He listened to Christ's Word. Even when it goes against cultural norms, obey the Word of God. Send your life around God's word. Psalm 1, meditate on God's word day and night. May it be uh, something that you desire and love. Number three is contemplate the nature of Christ and then contemplate your condition before Christ. We think of Revelation and when Jesus talks about, I know your works to the churches. I know your works. Christ's nature as the omniscient, uh, powerful, almighty, holy one of God. He knows your works and we should be sensitive to our sins because God knows our sin. We should contemplate God's nature and then contemplate our condition before God and ask for repentance and confess. Number four is practice repentance and embrace Christ's grace. Embrace Christ's grace. Practice repentance, confess sin, and embrace Christ's grace. If you get communion, we're about to do communion in a few minutes. Embrace his grace, confess, repent sin, and rely on his grace. Christ calls sinners to join him in his purpose. Number five, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he says, I will make you fishers. He's actually bringing people into his business. He's bringing people into his purpose, which is to proclaim the kingdom of God. He invites Peter, Andrew, James, and John into his purpose. He calls sinners to join him in his purpose. 
that's important to remember and think on. The last thing I want to I want I want to just address here is how why I mentioned the Holy Spirit in the beginning. The purpose of His church is to continue His work. One of the things that I was talking to Rob about this morning, one of the most astonishing things about what Christ says, He says in John that I send the Holy Spirit. It's better for you that I go, so that you can go, and that the Holy Spirit can come, and, and you can do more things than I. He says to the disciples, "You can do greater things than I." Contemplate that for a second. Jesus is saying, it's better that I leave because you can do more things if I go. What an amazing truth. You would think the disciples would say, no, 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 no. Why don't you like another be risen from the dead, and that, but don't ascend into heaven. Why don't you hang out with us for 70, days, 70 years? Right? Why don't you hang out with us? We can do a lot of cool things if you stay longer. He doesn't say that. He says, it's better if I leave. The Holy Spirit can come. We see that the Holy Spirit does come, and he, and he, the purpose of his church and his people is to continue his work. You are plan A in God's plan to redeem the world through the gospel. You're not plan B. You're plan A. If you're a Christian, you are plan A in God's plan. The question is, where are you called to proclaim, and how are you called to proclaim it? If you're a follower of God, if you're one of God's people, you are part of God's plan to reach the world and the nations with the gospel. Here's why Jesus is sent into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit. If you believe and trust in Christ... You are called to go and proclaim that same gospel that Christ came to proclaim. And some of you are not doing anything for the kingdom of God. And my question is, why? Like, well, why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? Well, what is your excuse for not being a part of God's kingdom work? If you're called a Christian, you should be going. You should be proclaiming. You should find out where and how you're supposed to proclaim. Other question is, should we? Or why should we? have to get to work. You have to consider the gospel of Jesus which saved you and get to work. Let's find a place, let's find a way for you to be a part of God's work. Be catchers of men. Some of you are great conversationalists, some of you are great organizers, some of you are great encouragers, some of you are great teachers, some of you are great servants, some of you are great leaders. And the time is to get in the game now. You're catchers of men. So why aren't you catching men? Why are you fishing for fish when God has sent you to catch men? Go. Don't wait. Don't find excuses. Let's find where and how and go. Let's do it. That's the next fill your room. It's you. It's not some figure out something. It's you. Billy Graham is no different than you. Same Spirit of God as well as in you, that, that, that as well as Billy Graham. Same Spirit of God as well as Paul as well as in you. Same Spirit of God as well as in Peter as well as in you. So why are we excusing ourselves? Go. Proclaim the truth. We actually have an opportunity for you. We're going to talk about in just a few minutes and how you can go. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this message and the truth of your word. And I thank you, Lord, that your purpose was to send us to go and to be catchers of men. You didn't call some of us. You called all of us to that purpose, to be catchers of men and women. See people follow you, to have these moments of experiencing Christ Jesus, like the way that Peter and James and John and Andrew did, astonished by your work, astonished by your nature, contemplating who we are in comparison to you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that repentance would happen, that people would repent and put their faith in Christ as we go out to proclaim the truth. 
Use us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.